What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Puzzling edition. They're all quite puzzling. But yeah, uh, I guess if they weren't a little puzzling, they'd be kind of <clears throat> dull, right? That's right. That's right. This one's more of a puzzle adventure edition. That's just a tease, a tease, <laughs> just a tease of what our if will be this week. Uh, how are you, sir? It's good to have you back. Although I was the one who was away. Um, well, I mean, relativity says, you know, we can decide either one of us is moving. Um, that's right. So that's, right. Yeah. that's right. That's um, right. And how are things? How's the summer going? Um, uh, the summer is uh, slightly painful um, <laughs> because we got a new puppy and she's a little nippy. Uh, so I've lost a fair bit of blood over the last oh no. week or so. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, how old is she? Uh, she is three months old. Um, three months. So still uh, needing to go out every hour or two, which means uh, not much uninterrupted sleep. So, so yeah, actually, I guess I'm I'm tired from lack of sleep and blood loss. Um, oh my so, goodness! So if I just keel over in the middle of right. the recording, that's why. Well, then Freya will step in. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, she has strong opinions. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, what the if I ate this microphone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. She would be, she's definitely an empiricist. She wants to try everything out. <laughs> yeah, know? that's good. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Indeed. Um, and uh, for those who have been listening, they've been noticing occasionally uh, there have been these, uh, these strange other kind of episodes that have been coming on occasionally. <laughs> and uh, you were saying you, you'd heard some of these. Um, what, what are your thoughts about this uh, well um and i'd never really been that worried about the the general panic of being replaced by an ai um yeah <laughs> but now i guess that's right they can podcast for us too um <laughs> it is uh kind of kind of amazing actually um uh, i feel like the those chatbots actually do a better job at pretending than they do at sort of actual reporting, right? Yes. People treat them like search engines, but they're not. No, they're not. Um, they're actually just simulators, um, which makes them really good at like acting. Um, so that's kind of changed the way I, I think about them. Oh yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, I'm glad you actually you got that because that, I also felt that was one of the lessons I was learning. And I do tell people that I've been doing a lot of talks in the documentary community. I'm one of the few people nerdy enough to have been following every everything AI up and down. And so I've been asked to do, I've been giving some talks about AI and how it may affect you and the world. And um, the first thing people say is, the first thing, every single time, if, if they're new to it, is, I don't know, I, I asked it if it knew who I was and it told me all these false things about myself. And then I say, yes, do not don't use it for research. Don't use it for facts. Don't use it for, I mean, there's just no point because you can go to Google and, you know, get 
But interestingly, Google, by the way, doesn't give you, they, they have a tiny little suggestion box that sometimes gives you a fact at the top, but it also gives you a huge link, a huge page of links. And so you are doing your own research and you're choosing which of those websites yes. Google is offering Hopefully, you, right. you yeah. trust. Yeah. Um, but as creative partners, they are uh, really good. They're definitely far from perfect, but uh, pretty amazing. The voice synthesis is one of the most astounding things. Yeah, that um, is pretty amazing, actually. Um, just amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, and so uh, we were talking a little bit about it before the show, but for our listeners, uh, the most most recent uh, fantasy guest episode, what, what we're talking about, by the way, is I've been using ChatGPT to um, play. I've been asking ChatGPT to play uh, fictional characters <laughs> or people from the past and, and to come on the show as a guest. So if you haven't heard these Go back, uh, go to whatthef.com. You can see some of our previous episodes. And our most recent one was uh, with uh, Ada Lovelace, the mm -hmm. uh, called the world's first programmer. And so were there any glaring uh, errors, any egregious errors in there? Yeah, I don't know if there's egregious errors, but things I would want to go check. Um, so as you and I were um, uh, discussing whether or not Charles Babbage and Lovelace actually uh, ever met in person and work yeah. together yeah. Uh, and that's a thing um i would have to go check on actually and i'd never i'd never thought about it before um so yeah yeah well that's good isn't that that's the way science works you uh, or history works you each answer raises new questions one hopes yeah that's right yeah um uh, but lovely, although not so, for humans anymore the ai will also answer the question well uh, so they'll both ask the question and answer the question. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. we'll just stop listening after a while. Yeah. Well, you were talking about being replaced, you as a guest, you know, you being replaced by chatbot. I think I'm sure someone has done it. But uh the next thing I'd love to try would be to have it play me and the guest. <laughs> just let it talk to itself for a while. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Well, as and it, it would. It totally would. I don't know how good it would be. Um so uh um um Speaking of humans, and when are we not? <laughs> uh, we, we mentioned it, uh, I mentioned it last time when I was on with Gabby. We have a new, uh, our newest patron, our newest patron, our newest super ifer, member of the Patreon membership community, uh, is Dan. So shout out to Dan, and uh, shout out to all our patron, Patreon listeners. Um, if you don't know what that is, by the way, go to patreon.com slash what the if. We have all kinds of... Uh, Merch available, stickers, hoodies, mugs. Um, I was about to say briefcases. We don't have briefcases. We should <laughs> to carry your secret papers in. You know, um, we could just ask ChatGPT again. This is ChatGPT would be perfect for coming up for ridiculous. Give us five ridiculous things we could sell. Um, but uh, um, the best thing I think that's available is the bonus content. We have done so many uh, bonus. Extended episodes, basically, at the end of the episodes, whenever we finish recording, we continue going, There's and there's a lot more. It's sometimes 15, 20 minutes for um, our Patreon listeners only. So special discussions uh, with our guests, human or real, and, uh, and our hosts, and we find out all kinds of things that you won't find out in the regular episode. So uh, again, I recommend you go to Patreon. Check that out. And Dan, thank you. Dan uh, wrote in, and he says... Uh, 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 so, the reason I've been doing these fantasy guest episodes is sometimes I have been uh, traveling, and the reason I've been traveling is because I've been making this documentary for a number of years now um, about the video game Myst, M-Y-S-T. And if you know it, 
you're smiling right now as you remember it. And if you don't know it, you can look it up. Uh, you can go to themistdocumentary.com. Again, that's M-Y-S-T, themistdocumentary.com. Find out more about the film. Um, but uh, uh, the annual fan convention for Mist, which has been going on now for one, more than 20 years, maybe more than 25 wow, years. Sorry, right? hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, is coming up, and uh, it's going to be in Spokane, Washington. Um, unfortunately, it's sold out. So apologies if you didn't get in, um, but uh, it's in different cities each year, uh, travels around, but like kind of like the Olympics, every four years or so, it returns to Spokane, which is where the company Cyan Worlds is based, the company that made the game. And um, so that's coming up, and I'll be filming that. And Dan will be there too, I believe. And Dan says, uh, so Dan writes in, and he says, uh, he has a topic suggestion. What if we could create worlds? I'm sipping my coffee because creating worlds is going to require a little bit of energy. Oh, sure. Yeah. And he says, uh, with Philip on the way to Mysterium, that's the name of the uh, convention, at the end of June, I thought it would be cool to ask a mist-inspired if. What if we discovered the technology to create worlds or universes either in alternate realities or our own. This doesn't have to take the form of the linking books from Mist. We'll talk about what that means, the linking books. He says, what would be the ramifications for our society? What would be our relationship to these worlds? Would we be gods? Do we owe them anything? <laughs> I don't know, meaning the people in these worlds. Uh, I don't know if this is sufficient to drive an hour-long discussion. Oh, yes, it is. Um, but you've led me down many unexpected roads before, <laughs> so I thought I should ask. Bonus points if Philip can be convinced to do this as a live show during his visit to Spokane. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah. That would be fun. Uh, maybe next year. But uh, And Dan says, thank you for the great content. You make me think every time I listen in. That's very nice. Oh, that's nice. Really glad. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. So, linking books. Um, what this means is, in the, so in the game of this, this is not really a spoiler because this happens immediately at the beginning of the game. So at the beginning of the game, you appear in this, uh, what they call the starry expanse. You're in this kind of void and there's all these stars overhead and there's a prologue and a, a man falling down into the void. And uh, then you, you are there. It's a first person game, so you don't, you know, you're just you and a book uh, the man has dropped a book that crashes onto the ground in front of you. And you walk over to it, and, and it's a big, very old-looking book. And um, it says, uh, Mist, on the cover. M-Y-S-T in big letters. And you open the book, and you see uh, regular pages, except on one of the pages is a rectangle that looks like uh, it's playing, uh, there's a picture moving inside it, and there's some view of a uh, view of flying over a strange, surreal island somewhere with strange buildings and tall pine trees and water all around. And uh, so naturally, you do the only thing you can do at this point in the game, <laughs> which is move the cursor, which looks like a little hand, with a little finger pointing, and you touch 
the book, and all of a sudden you hear a sound that sounds exactly like wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I believe it literally is. It was two, two brothers and, and some colleagues made the game originally. And I believe that literally is one of the brothers just going wah, 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 wah. <laughs> And uh, all of a sudden you're on that island. And uh, as the game progresses, you will find more of these books, each one of which will take you to a different, what they call an age in that game, but we can think of it as different worlds. So basically, they're like these books that you touch them and you're instantly teleported to another place, kind of like the Star Trek transporter or something mm. without the machine. And those are called linking books. And um, I think... Dan didn't mention this, so, so we won't include this necessarily. It may come up, but we won't necessarily include this in our thought experiment this time. But just FYI, what's kind of fun is that the, uh, the man you saw at the beginning, is, uh, his name is Atris. And uh, he's kind of, kind of a wizard. You can think of him as a wizard kind of thing. And uh, he creates these worlds by writing in books. And so by describing the worlds, they get created. And then, and then he makes a linking book that will take you to these new worlds. So... That's how the books are created. But uh, Dan, Dan was asking a little bit more straightforward. He says, uh, what if we discover the technology? Oh, no, he does say to create worlds or universes. Yes. Yeah, so mm -hmm. he is talking about that. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, that is interesting, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So let, us, let, let me now, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, begin the opening ceremonies here. And uh, can you describe the safety protocols, and why do, we do, why do we have to announce the if with such uh, uh, obviousness? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I don't know. It's probably psychologically generally a good idea to um, understand which version of reality you're interacting with uh, at a given <laughs> yeah. moment. Right. Um, and since what we do here is change up reality a little bit, it's important to have uh, a clear announcement of the beginning of the new reality and the end of the new reality, um, lest someone um, uh, uh, lose track of which world they're in at the moment. So yes. we will now ceremoniously uh, create a new reality in which we are able to create new realities. It, indeed, indeed. And uh, Gabby's not here, but I can remind us of the... Uh, of the uh, the hazmat safety protocols, put on your goggles, uh, put on your gloves, put on your hazmat suit, and always remember your papper. And we ask, what the if? We could create worlds, universes, ages, simply with a pen, and some magical ink from some magical toads. I don't want to give away too many spoilers of the game. But what if we could create mist-like linking books uh, and wor and worlds? Um, so let's let well we may backtrack. We may get to sort of the backstory. But the, let's just imagine right off the bat, we have one of these. We got these so, things, Matt, yeah. you, 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 as a historian of science mm -hmm. at New York University, you, um, there's a wonderful library there called Bobst. Indeed. Mm -hmm. And um, it still has stacks of books, not nearly as many as it used to. 
sadly. Uh, that's correct. And only a fraction of what the university owns, too. Right? Most of it uh, is off-site. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, have you? Is, is there like another library? Or is it just there is a big warehouse, yeah. Um, so oh. most books you have to request, and then they show up a day later. Oh, and that, actually, that's, where- true, that's true for most university libraries these days, is oh, most really? of the stuff is held off, off-site. Interesting. Well, that's inter- That's kind of good to know that may- maybe they still have the books. I, I thought they just sold all the books. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no they're still out there, most of them anyway. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Because vast sections of the library have been converted, for instance, to desks for studying other and things, working. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, tables with a million plugs so everyone can plug in their computers. <laughs> and it's beautiful, don't get me wrong. But um, I could imagine you walking, as I like to do, walk through the stacks and uh, you come across a book, a big, fat, one of those old books from like the 1800s, and uh, you, you open it up, and there is a moving picture inside it. Um, and uh, you touch it. What world did you just go to? What, what? Well, so that depends on what uh, part of the stacks you are in, right? Uh, because right. they're divided up by subject. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So if you just happen to be, uh, say, in the history section, um, and you pull, uh, let's say, uh, Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire off the shelf, um, then you're transported back to 4th century Italy. Um, which, if you're not prepared for it, could be quite inconvenient, I would imagine. Yeah, that's really cool, though. Right. Really cool. And you're reminding me of the game, by the way, Mist is full of, there's a lot of metaphors, sort of or a lot of meta stuff going on in the books and the metaphors and things like that. And uh, I did love how, one, I think one of the reasons the game was so, it, by the way, it was, I didn't mention, the, uh, came out in 1993, and it was the most popular game for nine years. Wow. Nine years it stayed as number one on the charts, the best-selling charts, until it was finally knocked off, I believe, in 2002 by The Sims. That's amazing. So if you're going to be knocked off by something, you know, The Sims. Yeah, that's right. It's a good a, choice. Yeah. Um, it was so, the game was so popular. It was, uh, if you remember, it was full of, it was in the pop culture everywhere. The Simpsons made fun of it. I mean, once The Simpsons parody you, hey, Homer. You, you've arrived, yeah. Uh, Homer walked by some of the buildings from Mist at one point and when he was, accidentally knocked into the third dimension and uh, on a Halloween episode. So, um, but I, I always thought one of the wonderful things about it was that here was this game, which was at the time the peak of technology. I mean, no one had ever seen graphics like this game, beautiful 3D mm-hmm. photorealistic textures. And uh, you were playing it on the top computers of the time, you know, the Macintosh, things like that. Um, and, uh, uh, but that it celebrated this old, old thing called, you know, books and the idea that books transport you to other places. That was a nice metaphor, just like you were saying. Any book you pull off the library shelf could transport you. Yeah. So um, now Dan was talking about not just any, that you were sort of taking us back to perhaps that was a real time in a real place. Uh, here we, you could create worlds. Mm-hmm. So, so you discover this technology somehow. How, how might this work? Where you could write, you could describe a world. Well, so this and it gets this created. Is, this is important questions, right? Because yeah. you know, what level of detail do we need to have for the world to be created? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, if I just write down 
um, uh, flat plane uh, do I get a two-dimensional Earth? Um, or do I get some featureless thing? Or do I need to describe a certain amount of stuff before things pop in? Yeah. Um, certainly, let's say uh, Lord of the Rings would have to count, right? <laughs> it would have to be uh, an example of giving enough information to make an entire world. Yeah. Um, because there you've got geography, you've got history, You've got languages and the people who inhabit that world as well. Um, like maybe I describe a, a really rich and geologically interesting world, but forget to write down that there's people on it. Um, <laughs> is, yeah. is it then a, a totally empty place? I don't know. Actually. Right. Um, okay. Or or maybe you know you you just suggest enough of what the world might be and then however this magical technology works kind of fills in the gaps right so i say you know habitable water world it yeah. automatically comes up with shrimp people or something like that um that could be kind of an interesting experiment actually to see how how little information you can give it and still get a full-fledged world yeah yeah mm -hmm. it it reminds me of um the game of life the old you board know, game? The, no, the oh, that, that there was that, but the um, the, oh, the computer simulation. Yeah, computer simulation. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a, what is that? Like? Oh, sure. So this is a um, a computer. Yeah, I guess somewhere between simulation and a game um, that actually goes back to the eighties, um, and it was uh, put together by a computer scientist named uh, Conway. I can't remember his first name John, at the moment. John Conway. John Conway. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's a series of extremely simple rules. Um, it's just a a, a a field of pixels. Um, and I can't remember what the original size was, but it's quite small, maybe 128 pixels by 120 pixels, something mm. like that. Um, and there are very simple rules like um, if the pixel, uh, pixels can either be on or off, right? Black or white. Um, and if the pixel is white and the pixel next to it is white, then one of the other pixels next to both of those two will also be white. So there's a series of like half a dozen extremely simple rules about this. Um, and then the weird thing is that once you start it, like you give it a couple of bright pixels, then those rules take over um, and the pixels start <laughs> making sort of spontaneous shapes that do stuff. Um, so some of the shapes stick together and move around on their own and they interact with each other. Uh, and if you let it run for a while, um, it does things like create complicated lifelike forms. You get predators and prey and flocks of things. Um, and what's kind of what's astounding is that you create what kind of a recognizable lifelike uh, environment just from extremely simple rules. Yeah. So that's kind of a profound implication, right? That our complicated, because that implies that our complicated world might also be the result of, of just a small number of very simple rules. Yeah. 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 And I want to give a shout out to a mutual friend of ours, uh, Will. Um, oh, yeah. Right. Will Cavendish is, uh, has been working on a documentary about John Conway and I think may have among the last interviews that uh, was ever done with Conway. Oh, is that right? Oh, that's cool. Passed away. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful film. And, um, and I've been begging him for years to come on and talk about it. 
or anything. Will is a mathematician, and uh, but uh, you know, in the true spirit of mathematicians, he can't be bothered to uh, sully himself people. with yeah. educating to the people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. He, he says some someday, someday. So it's still out there. So Will, if you're listening, come help us with Conway. But um, yeah, it's an amazing thing, and I remember it, it's uh, the game of life has been imported to probably any computer system you've ever encountered the game of life has probably been on there for you to play even if you didn't that's know probably it. true because it's so it's so simple anything with a display um, yeah. you can do so if you've got like a smart fridge that can run the game of life that's yeah no i remember having it on my atari computer <gasps> oh really uh, that's pretty cool yeah and just watching it you know play and um yeah it's as if some of the patterns become they're all they're like they're literally like like bugs or fish or crawling creatures or things like that and um so uh these days, gamers will know, uh, I've, and I've been ever so slightly one foot in the gaming world as I've been working on this documentary, because um, I'm not really a hardcore gamer. I just love Myth. Um, but uh, there's a term they use called, and it's a computer science term, procedural. Mm -hmm. a procedural yeah. generation. Uh, and that there, there are massive, there are games these days that have massive worlds. Uh, when Myth was created back in 93, they had to create, as you can imagine, it almost seems normal, um, you know, a large world that you could wander in during the game, but every single part of that world was created by the artists. And That's right, all planned out ahead of time, yeah. Yeah, and there was no more than that. You couldn't go beyond it. These days, computers are able to generate, um, you, you could literally just keep walking and walking and walking. That's right, yeah, so that's the extraordinary going. thing about games like Minecraft, right? Yeah. Is that, as yeah. you say, it's procedural. So the game just has a series of, of rules, right? When... Uh, if there's a, a flat plane, there's a 30% chance of having a tree. If there's one tree, then there's an X chance that it's going to, you should put another tree next to that, and then you might get a forest or you might not. Um, and as you say, you can wander in Minecraft for an infinite amount of time and never get to the same place again. And that's one of the reasons it's it's so much fun, right? Um, so if the books worked that way, that would be pretty neat, actually, because <laughs> that that yeah. would then you could just give it a nudge um, uh, and go to visit. So if I'm I'm in the mood to be on top of a mountain, I say, um, yeah. Uh, villa on top of mountain um yeah. and then the picture appears and then i poke it and i get to go there uh so that would be pretty cool actually actually you're reminding me that is that is really <laughs> i hadn't made this connection yet it's essentially what you can do these days with um mid journey or any of the uh, oh yeah that's right actually I hadn't ai art programs right so in the ai art programs uh there's one in particular called Midjourney. It's kind of the most popular one, or Dali is another one. Um, you just type something you want to see, and then the computer, the AI program, generates a stunning photorealistic image from out of thin air, <laughs> uh, or actually from static. Essentially, the technology, yes. the, the way it works is I still don't quite get it, but um, diffusion they call it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of like the, the, the magic, the, the power that Atris had. And in the game, that power, of course, as with all, what is it, all, as with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. And a huge part of the games is Atris is a uh, tortured man because he, he understands the, uh, the power and responsibility he has in that he is creating these worlds and, and yeah. he could destroy them. And um, that's what can happen now when you just type these words and you see amazing worlds. You seek a, you seek a, a village on top of a cat. 
<laughs> even stranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in the game, um, it is, I'm remembering, it is a little bit in, in more like what you're saying, that he doesn't have to write, Atris doesn't have to write the, every single thing about the world because there are worlds that are flawed or broken mm. uh, in the game. And sometimes you go to them and uh, it's as if, you know, one of them, it feels like there's an endless uh, meteor storm, meteor shower or whatever, mm. or uh, or there's earthquakes all the time. That's a big problem that happens a lot. Interesting. Okay. And uh, some people get trapped there. Sometimes the world is bad and the people are trapped. Or, or there's, there may be a, like an evil person has taken over that world. That happens fairly often in the game. Interesting. Anyway. Okay. So, um, yeah, so you just start the things. Now, I have, to, I have to go one step further and just say that um, uh, one of the brothers, there's two brothers, Robin and Rand Miller, who made this. And uh, the older one, Rand, uh, still runs the computer company and they're still making games. And uh, Rand is, I've gotten to know them and uh, everyone that works for the company very well over these years. And uh, Rand loves the idea of the simulation hypothesis. He just ah. fascinated because he mm-hmm. is someone who creates their company is called Cyan Worlds. And they he says always, he said, what we really he says, yeah, we make games, but really we just make worlds. And then the people get to play in the game, you know, play in that world. Um, but he sees this idea that our world might have been written by somebody, for instance. Right. Well, because this, that's right, our if does raise the, the question of um, how you distinguish between these artificial worlds and the real world. Yeah. Um, and if whatever the, the magic technology is, does a really good job filling in the unspoken gaps and assumptions, we not, might not be able to tell, right? We could just be in somebody else's book, um, yeah. uh, as yeah. it were, because what might seem like a, an obvious law of nature to us might be a totally arbitrary choice for whoever was writing the book in the yeah. first place, right? So somebody's, you know, there's some <laughs> transcendental alien who's like, you know what? Make me a world in which energy is conserved. Uh-huh. And the book is like, all right, that's a totally absurd idea, but I'll make a world like that. Um, and then we are just the products <laughs> of, of that bizarre assumption. Um, and there's entire, most of the real universe is the one in which you know, energy is not conserved and that's just, it's just free. Um, and we're the, we're the strange story that they're looking at, um, to, to see what that might look like. And that actually, so should this technology work that does, um, (laughs) it, it makes computer modeling in the scientific sense, a really interesting exercise, um, because I can make whatever kind of universe I want and just have it, uh, have it run its story and then I can check in on it and see what it's like. Yeah. Um, which I guess actually is what we do here on the show every week too. That's true. We may be the ones. <laughs> we are the researchers. Well, I think we, we've done this. In, in, uh, there was some show we did a while ago where we we did this. The hypo- We ran with the uh, simulation um, um, theory and the idea that we're living in a simulation. And I think ultimately we decided that we are, yeah, we're just earth and, and this our entire universe is essentially just some program running on a on a c level students post a postdoc <laughs> students or whatever you know desk like sort of they check in with us every once in a while and they're not happy with it mm-hmm. they no, decide to let sense, it run yeah. a little bit longer 
Um, uh, so that's another thing. By the way, I have to ask Rand about this. I don't know. Now, I will be at the fan convention. And at the fan convention are people who, by the way, there's a fictional language and a fictional civilization in the, in the game, as, as you can imagine. And there are fans who have learned that language and speak it and to give classes on it and how to translate it. Right. Sure. That's also sense, fun. Yeah. Dunny, it's called. And um, there are fans who are incredible experts on the lore. And I will have to ask them. And if any of you are listening, write in and let us know. Um, did they ever ponder in the game? Did Atris ever ponder if perhaps he was living inside another person's late linking book? Um, so, uh, um, responsibility. Now, for the creatures, uh, Atris very much feels responsible for the people in his worlds. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, when things go badly, he's, he's upset. Um, but he's, you know, he's faced with, uh, well, actually one of the fun things about the game is it, it is, you do encounter ethical dilemmas. In fact, sure. it was one of the first games to, to involve that. Uh, that's more common in games today. But... Um, you know, there are times where Atris can't, he knows he needs to do, he, he's torn, but he has to do something to help the people. But if he did that, it would create much bigger yeah, problems. Yeah, change something else, right? Right. Um, yeah, so you can imagine like, you know, if the book I pull off the shelf is the novelization of Star Wars, mm -hmm. um, a billion people die on Alderaan right. in the first chapter, right? Right. Um, so you might say, as as the author, I've done a terrible thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I have yeah. brought all these people into existence and then immediately killed them. Um, uh, and that might be bad. And you might say, in the service of the story, that's necessary because, you know, Luke Skywalker has to uh, restart the Jedi Order and that doesn't happen unless, you know, Ultron's destroyed and he destroys the Death Star and so on. Yeah. Um, but you might say that that's um, if if those entities can suffer the way people do, then that was probably not such a nice thing to to do. Right. right. Um, so I can imagine that perhaps there would be some regulation on the use of this technology too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, dictated happy endings or something like that. <laughs> it's um, it'd be like the old uh, Hollywood code. Um, yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, ChatGPT kind of has this. ChatGPT is very uh, um, cautious about what it will let you do. And if you try to, you know, anytime you try to get ChatGPT to speculate or write a story or something like that, it has this tendency to always bring it back around to a happy ending at the end of every scene to the point where I actually say to it, you can get it to change. It takes a little bit of work uh, and persistence. I say, uh, don't end with a happy ending. And then it's, oh, wow, oh, that's interesting. If you tell, pro tip, if you tell ChatGPT, I'm writing a novel, for instance, and um, if every scene, you actually give it a rationale, and you say, if every scene ends as a happy happy ending, it's, it's not a good story. Please don't do that. And then it'll actually respond, oh, yes, I understand. And then oh, it that's interesting it. that it understands that as a category. Huh. Yeah, okay. yeah. And then it, it'll, eventually it'll kind of come back to doing it again. You have to spank it again. But... Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I like this idea of, of um, yeah, forced, uh, forced happy endings. Um, so, what would the uh, what would the permission process be? What would you have to do? So, let's imagine uh, a government building. There's a long line of people holding their books. In holding line. their books. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So, there's some bureaucrat who, um, I guess, checks to make sure you're not inflicting unacceptable suffering um, <laughs> on your fictional entities. 
uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess one option would be to transpose all of our existing rules and expectations from the real world into the books and make sure that um, uh, we have to follow those rules too, right? So murder is illegal here. So we might say, well, murder is going to be illegal um, in in these book worlds as well. Uh, And you can, you know, and I, I think you can make a good case for why you would want to do that because we can go visit those books, right? Yeah. Um, so if, if I write a book in which I say murder is allowed, um, and then a whole bunch of people go visit that book and then I can kill those people and those are real people. But if I do it (laughs) in the book, then I say it's acceptable because I made a world in which murder was legal. It's a honeypot. That's right. Yeah. We wouldn't (laughs) want to do that kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, but I suppose if the internet has taught us anything, it's that people will make spaces where, whatever crazy rules they can come up with are, are what govern things. Um, and some of those will no doubt be just kind of fun and silly, right? All humans have tails. Um, but some of them will no doubt be quite horrible as well. Um, Oh yeah. Uh, rule 34, I think it's called. Don't look that's right. Rule 34, (laughs) um, would be, yeah, would be an extraordinary thing. Right. Um, because, you know, somebody's going to write a book that says world where Captain Janeway is is uh, <laughs> totally attracted to me. And then yeah. I and then I go into that book and I get to romance Captain yeah. Janeway. Right. Yeah, that's got to exist. Oh, that's for sure. That exists. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of fascinating. And uh, um, there are fun- <laughs> it's funny because it missed there are it's a ga- it's a family game. And uh, it's made for everybody, and so it can be enjoyed by everyone. But there are little hints of things, you know, that are super creepy that you don't know what that was. And uh, another one of the um, artists who worked on the original game missed. Uh, his name is Chuck Carter. He's an incredible artist. He uh, has done many other video games as well, many famous games, and um, also has done does uh, like artist conception and uh, scientific diagrams for NASA. He does these huge posters. Oh, cool. He does uh, things for National Geographic and stuff like that. He's an incredible artist. So shout out to Chuck. And um, but uh, oh, what was I going to say? He uh, what was I talking about? I totally spaced. I spaced because I mentioned NASA. Um, uh, rule thirty four. I can't remember. Well, Chuck was talking at one point about doing a uh, a parody of Mist. There is a game called Pissed. Where P Y S D, where you can wander around and it's all full of like the the puzzles in Mist can be hard. Some people say they're hard, and there's this game Pissed where it's more ridiculous. Um, I'll think of what what, what, what I was going to talk about with Chuck. But um, so there's there's a tribunal that uh, approves your book. It would be kind of like going to the uh, not the FDA. What's the uh, for products? Like the Product Safety Safety Commission. Oh, uh, you know? OSHA. OSHA, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, your games would have to be approved by the government before. Yeah, they go that's on, right. On the shelves, um, and you could well imagine that um, those would be pretty complicated rules, and the process of getting a society to agree on these things would be quite hard, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, if on the a tribunal there happened to be a vegan, like, well, you can't make any books in which. Animals are exploited for their labor, um, yeah, yeah. and somebody's like, "Really? So I can't, I can't, you know, read 
the black stallion? And they're like, no, yeah, <laughs> you can't yeah. be black stallion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that um, that would be an interesting cultural conversation to to have to try to decide what what kinds of worlds, what kind of simulated worlds are okay to make and visit. Um, because I think if they're if they're just simulated worlds, that's essentially just books, right? We, we write a book yeah. and we've yeah. simulated a world. But the yeah. fact that we can go visit them uh, raises a whole other host of questions um, that would make things quite complicated. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just remember what it was with Chuck I was saying along these lines, in fact, of pushing the boundaries of something. Uh, in Mist, there's a moment where if you know where to go and you kind of, you find yourself in this tiny room and it's kind of a, seems to be like a weird torture chamber or something that one of the characters built mm. in their bedroom, you know, and you're like, this is really weird. And then there's a crate on the ground and you open the crate and all you can see is like just the corner of like this rotting monkey head. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw that and I screamed when it happened. And I'm sure anyone who sees that is like, what? And uh, I mentioned that to, to Rand, I think at one point and, or Robin. And they said, oh yeah, that's Chuck. Chuck put that in there. Oh, that's oh, fascinating. Um, but again, it, it, it's amazing to me actually how these very conversations are very heated right now around AI. I mean, um, both with ChatGPT and MidJourney and, and the other things, people are trying to get them to do all kinds of things and not even necessarily bad things at all, but they're just trying to be creative and and um, there is a bit of, people are calling it a bit of a nanny culture, but I mean, to to speak on the side of the companies, I think they're sort of saying, look, these things are brand new, it's free. And uh, we'd rather not <laughs> get a reputation as being this purveyor of uh, smut. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, might not be a good start to things, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now, from a scientific standpoint, what could, in, what, in what way would this possibly work? What might be the mechanisms going on here? Um, I have no idea, actually. I don't think we have the slightest sense of what it means to create a world, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, because we'd have to start with, well, actually, I was about to say we'd have to start with the laws of nature, but actually maybe we don't. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I imagined that it would be a, a game of life type situation where you set out basic rules and then the world emerges from that. Um, but maybe it can go the other way. Maybe we postulate the end goal. Humans have 12 fingers. Um, and then the technology uh, reverse engineers what the basic principles must be, which which I should say is more like what, say, Midjourney does, is you don't, when you tell Midjourney to make an image, um, you don't have to specify the the fundamental rules that make that image possible. You can right. just say Bruce Willis dressed like a clown mm -hmm. and yeah. you don't have to explain why Bruce Willis is dressed up like a clown. <laughs> that would be great if Midjourney said why. <laughs> exactly right. Why? Um, <laughs> because that, that is more how we make our simulations these days, right? Minecraft starts with the basic rules about how the world works. Right. Um, you don't start with, uh, there should be a castle and then it comes up with a plausible scenario by which the, the castle was made. Um, mm -hmm. So whether we build our, our worlds from top down or bottom up is actually quite different um, and yeah. has quite different uh, profound implications for the way we think about reality. Um, so I don't know which way it, it depends, which way the technology is going to work. That's kind of fascinating. The idea of a procedural backstory. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and again, I think the AI would do that, but um, uh, this idea that you could create something and as you, in other words, there are some people who would say uh, uh, those who believe in a literal interpretation of the age of, from the Bible or something, they say the age of the earth is 6,000 years or something. And mm-hmm. then there are, but there are dinosaurs. Um, uh, they come up with a whole ration. Basically, there's a whole backstory that they've created to say that, uh, no, those were put there as a, I don't know, a trick or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. And that's, um, and that would be a fascinating thing because you could, you could easily imagine, um, as you're writing one of these books, accidentally making a contradictory story, right? You, oh, you put, yeah. you yeah. you put two elements in the story that are actually not compatible. Right. Um, and in a regular paper book, that's no big deal because, like, who's going to enforce that? Um, but if the technology is somehow creating a whole reality in which both of these things have to be true, what would it do? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, know yeah. what happens, right? If you um, if you try to create a computer simulation today that has contradictory principles, um, it crashes, right? It, yeah. it fails to run. Um, yeah. And I don't know what the equivalent of that is for a world that you're supposed to be able to go visit. Um, I mean, maybe it's just you can't visit it. Just it just doesn't let you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, well, that but, could be one of these broken worlds. You know. Yeah, that's right. Actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe you that's know. it. Yeah. Um, now, couldn't it be that uh, what we have to create? Or what happens when we create? Let's say we write a we write a book, we create a world by writing in this book and uh, using the right magic words, and um, that the beginning of every world is I'm going to blow your mind, a big bang or a little bang, you know, mm-hmm. um, and because it essentially we could say that our universe is procedural that we live in, and that the big bang as far as we know, is the beginning of it, and everything else just followed. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Life evolved just by following the natural processes of, the, uh, of our universe. So is it possible that we just simply create a big bang? It's the starting, just, that's essentially what the game of life was, right? You start with um, some yeah, simple conditions. Right. Is, is turning it on and pressing run. Turning it on. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah because, I mean, modern cosmology does assume that there are basic principles on which the universe runs and everything just kind of follows from that. Um, That all the complicated things we see are emergent properties uh, rather than created in a complicated form. Um, uh, Yeah, so it's quite possible. And that does, and this is the tricky part of the simulation hypothesis, um, is how can you tell the difference between a naturally emergent world and an artificially emergent world is that a, a well done artificially emergent world sure looks natural. Um, and yeah. from inside it, can you actually tell the difference? Probably not. Right. Right. Um, now, uh, we can end as we end and we like to run a thousand years, a million years and whatever and way into the future. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that, uh, I'll just say one other thing in the books is a big part of the game. Again, it's not a spoiler. You encounter this right at the beginning. Um, you discover two, two brothers, two brothers who made the game, and it just so happens there are two brothers who are characters in the game, who are played by the brothers who made the game. It's already Whoa. very meta. <laughs> and uh, that was more for budget reasons than anything else. But um, uh, the, you find that you, you walk into a library, 
and you open two books, and in each one of the books, there is one of the brothers looking out at you from the book saying, help me, free, take me. And so these brothers have been imprisoned in the books. So in other words, the brothers did something very bad, and their father, who is, is Atris, um, had to imprison the brothers, each in their separate prison books, he called them. So he essentially created a world which was nothing but a cell or you know some sort of limbo, mm -hmm. and he put them in there. So I can imagine our entire society, if we, these linking books were available as a technology, we would start using these things as prisons, for instance. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that would make a lot of sense. That's right. So you, yeah. you write out a world that is uh, miserable but still humane yeah. and then force someone to go there. Um, for a long period of time. And, you know, this would be good for our schools as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think if, if anybody can just write their own, then um, people are going to spend all their time in the world where Captain Janeway loves them. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I suspect everyone is going to, I don't know, get stuck probably isn't the right word, but spend as much time as possible in the particular world that they've engineered to be just right for them. Yeah. Well, the population problem, the, the, the idea of crowding or overpopulating the planet will be solved because people will go spread out into these infants. It's a little bit like Stargate, too, or something, right? So you yeah, that's right. That could wander. be. Um, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, we'd all um, end up in our isolated world, presumably. Um, yeah. I don't know yeah. if that means the end of our species or the beginning of a whole bunch of uh, subspecies. Uh, yeah. And well, we can end with this thought, that uh, we are one of the worlds, <laughs> and then all the books were lost. We, we were, okay. we, I think we live in a prison world. I think that's what it is. They sent us in here without any other books to go anywhere else. They're just, you're in there. Well, and that might explain why certain aspects of our universe actually seem quite terrible. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> why is it that we can't do anything about the common cold? Well, it's because our world was designed that that's our particular punishment. That's um, right. That's right. Is that we're all going to get the rhinovirus and we're just, yeah, that yeah. sucks. Blame Atris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or become the player of the game, the game we call life, and, and become the one who will liberate us. You will find the clue. You will find the red pages and the blue pages, and you will liberate us from our <laughs> prison. We live in the blue. There's the red world and a blue world, by the way. One of the brothers is red, one is blue, and I guess we live in the blue world. Okay. So uh, yeah. we should be freed. Um, any, uh, any last thoughts? Any, any, what, what sort of summation did you uh, take away from this thought experiment today? I don't know. Uh, there's, um, I think the at least one of the questions raised here is what do we, if if we all have the power to create entire universes, what do we do with that power? Yeah. Um, and then what happens to the beings in that universe? Um, so some some deep questions about the the nature of responsibility um, uh, and human artifice which actually circles back around to profound theological problems too. Yeah. Um, yeah. right. What if we, we, we want our creator God to be benevolent and kind and far seeing, but what if it's actually just a teenager who's bored on a Saturday afternoon? Um, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, a student, a freshman, a freshman. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. I would not want to be yeah, trapped in a world created by some of my freshmen. Yeah. World creation, uh, 001. 
practice practice. Well, thank you, thank you, Dan. By the way, for this amazing mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, that's right. Um, and a shout out to Dan and all the great fans of Mist, which I am one, and uh, and all the people who are going. By the way, Mysterium, even though it's it is sold out for in person, it is a virtual. It is going to be streamed live from Spokane, Washington, uh, June thirtieth, I believe, is the very and uh, very end of the month. Go to Mysterium, M Y S T E R I U M, Mysterium dot net. And you can find out more about that. Um, and uh, shout out to our Patreon listeners, of which Dan is also a member. Um, thank you all for your support. Um, if you've been listening a long time and you've not checked out the Patreon page and you wonder what that is, we would love to have your support. And we thank you for listening. Go to patreon.com slash what the if. Uh, Matt, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Any, uh, nightclub acts coming up? Um, no, I don't think there's anything exciting going on for me for a little while all right all right well that puts you behind the uh an upcoming episode which i've already recorded um i interviewed the star trek computer and uh played by uh major major barrett roddenberry Mm -hmm. and um when i asked if she had anything to plug like a nightclub act or whatever turned out she had a nightclub act (laughs) 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 and she told me all about it i was like wow okay (laughs) wow all right i'd I'd go see magil barrett roddenberry in a nightclub yeah Yeah. it was something but she said she'd be dropping binary beats (laughs) i was like wow all right (laughs) amazing amazing matt how do we end the show uh, well, usually we um, think through the full implications of what we have done, uh, and I think in this case, uh, to we we come around the shelves in Bobes and pull a book <laughs> off the shelf and discover that someone has written a book about us, yes. uh, in which there is a world uh, in which there are three podcasters who get together on a regular basis to discuss various hypotheticals about the world and we realize that maybe we have just picked up a book in which someone has written a book uh, about us in which we are just characters and we are forced to scream out the name of the book which happens to be what the the end has not yet been written shout out to all my missed lovers and we'll see you next week <laughs>